It's another episode of the Christian Reeve podcast, but are you subscribed? If not, make sure to like, share and subscribe. Spread the word about the Christian Reeve podcast and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reeve podcast. Today's guest is an author all the way from New York City. She's the author of Scandal in the Shadows. Her name is Margaret Mary O'Connor. Welcome to the show, Margaret. How are you doing? Oh, real good. Thank you, Christian, for having me on. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I just want to say, first of all, I love um, your like the room you're in. This I love this this decor and stuff. Oh, thank you. This is my <laughs> kitchen. I caught. I'm being Irish. I caught my Irish kitchen. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Is that um, with the the wood and everything? Is that like handmade and stuff or? Oh, it's it's oak. It's no, oak, that yeah. was uh, something that uh, was bought in. But uh, I do love uh, wood, whether it's oak or walnut. I'm the same. I don't know what it is. I, I, I got um, two sets of tables the other day because um, I, I do volunteering here in Manchester every Monday. And every once in a while, I'll spot something that catches my eye like, ooh, that, that'd be nice. I'd like that. And um, for a while, I've been searching for a coffee table. And uh, I was very lucky. You can see just in the background here, there's oh, one I of see. the tables yes. yeah so that's one of that's the slightly larger one and then the one there's like another underneath table it's a little bit smaller um but the thing that I, that really excited me was just the wood finish it's just like a really kind of nice wood it's it's got a bit of weight to it i don't know i i just i, I love that um yeah that and it, of, if it, it has that shine on it yeah it's just it just feels a bit raw real like i know maybe some people listening might not know what what the hell I'm going on about but basically what I mean by that is you know when you look at like how most people get their furniture these days from places like Ikea and stuff and it's like okay fine I got some stuff in my house fine but there's like no character to it yeah it's blah it is (laughs) just I don't know you can't you can't I I, I don't think you can simulate character do you know what I mean it's like you gotta a lot of the time things are collected over time and stuff. And I could tell like in the, in the backdrop of your kitchen there, there's like little odds and ends and trinkets and stuff. That's like, it adds character, it adds yeah something. <laughs> Thank but anyway, you very much. Let's, let's get to your book. So um, I did a little bit of research into it. I've got like a vague idea, but I kind of wanted to let you kind of say it in your own words. So what exactly is your book about? And what is the overall goal with the book? Yes, um, I'm uh, just a regular everyday Catholic, we're called the laity, and I wanted to present to my fellow um, Catholics the truth, a hidden history of the Catholic Church, which involves any woman. And uh, what I'm talking about is there was a centuries-old scandal of lies, cover-up, and deceit by the church hierarchy, mm-hmm. and what has been covered there's some very interesting skeletons there but i want to talk to any woman that you have been lied to by your church there's a betrayal of your own trust and once you realize that uh that isn't something that's really easy to swallow let alone digest you know how to get a handle on that And when I first found this fact, the factual evidence, biblical evidence of the truth of early woman priests in our Catholic church history, I really went through a myriad of emotions and I had to decide, am I gonna stay in this awful state or is is there something I can do after learning this awful evidence? really my conscience led me to write a book to get this factual truth out there, which unfortunately, I mean, it's very sad. You belong to a church and not that we're biblical scholars, but I mean, you're everyday Catholic. We pretty much know, I mean, the major parts of our faith life. And then, wow, all of a sudden, But on that other side, it's so exciting because now you're seeing a whole new other side of your church history that you never knew existed. 
Now, that has cons and pros because unfortunately, there are a lot of Catholics that basically um, want to stay in that, let's say, status quo. Mm-hmm. They're very comfortable with it. They don't want something that's perhaps rocking the boat, as this new information would be. And then there's even women in the church that for some reason, the thought of having woman priest um, to them just doesn't set well. And when I'm out picketing for woman priests, uh, how do I put this politely? I hear many dis- disparaging words, but there's such a variance of their emotions. Mm. Some will like scream at you, go home, you heretic. Uh, shut your mouth. Uh, don't act any more stupid than you are. Um, I'm intrigued. Of the abuse that you sometimes receive, is there ever any other women saying those things or is it just men? Uh, The men will basically say, uh, you belong in the kitchen. And I remember the first time that I heard that. And like I grew up back in the 1950s. I was a little girl then. And when you think of now, today, in 2021, and when I heard that the first time, it was like, my God, I'm like in the twilight zone, this different dimension of time. Yeah. And then they just, uh, or they'll walk by you and they, they put their eyes down and they just shake their heads. Um, this is what you mean now. That's kind of the attitudes of people yes. now, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I, it really, it took me back because I thought, aren't we finally through with that? That woman belong in the kitchen? No, it's, it's still alive. Unfortunately, very much so. It's interesting for me because I obviously come from a different generation to yourself. And for me, growing up, I mean, I definitely saw sexism, you know, in many different places. But I I would describe it more as like institutional sexism, uh, meaning, you know, like um, discrimination in the workplace or, or even when I was at school, I remember there were certain things that, you know, there would be like subtle things. It would never be like come out and be obvious. It'd be like underlying. And if you start mm. digging at it and scratching at it, some, then it gets exposed. But I feel like over the past, let's say the last 10 years, there's been a lot of change progressively as far as um, exposing these things and pushing it out there and, and kind of challenging as you said the status quo this kind of attitude that a lot of people tend to have mm-hmm. and i think that i think for the in fairness most people don't have that attitude i think most people are just normal everyday people that are not sexist that are not for instance racist you know they just want to live their life be happy and yeah because at the end of the day a lot of the a lot of the time it will bring it back to the church for a second I would wager that that kind of attitude that those men tend to have is just as much about how they grew up and and what they grew up around as it is about kind of um, routine. You know, it's like uh, we Mm. as humans fear change, right? And if it's been a certain way for so long, and then you say, well, let's do it differently now. And then people are like, well, but why should we do it differently? This is how it's always been. And it's like, yeah, but what if it can be better? You know, and obviously female priesthood, I mean, there's, there's, do you know what I mean? What's, what's the difference? Men and women can do the same job. There's no, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it, it's I mean, I, I would use the word archaic in terms of that kind of mm-hmm. mindset, but I, I do understand. I think it's just generations generational differences you know what i mean um but it's yes yeah, it's, it's obviously a good thing that, that that's that that's changing um for the better but it is interesting that there is still that kind of attitude i mean you know it's, it's, it's been a long time since we've kind of like i remember those jokes the women in the kitchen jokes in the in the kind of I want to say mid to late 2000s, there was, uh, I suppose, like a resurgence of it. Because I know that when you say that, when you say, I experienced this, I can imagine the scenario in my head. It wouldn't have been a joke. It would have been like 
uh, a sort of an aggressive attack or something like this is where you belong kind of attitude. Whereas in the 2000s, when, when we were teenagers and that was thrown around like mm-hmm. a joke, it was intended as a joke, but it was obviously clearly very offensive and it hurt a lot of people. And I remember that the kind of humor that we had back then extended to everything. It wasn't just sexism, mm-hmm. it was everything. And I feel like these days you can't you really make jokes like that and stuff. And it's an interesting kind of position to be in. Because on one hand, it's like, should we not be able to make jokes about how society is? Maybe, maybe not. But on the other hand, it's like, well, it, I suppose it would be fine if these weren't real issues that are affecting everyone. You know what I mean? Like taking it back to, you know, things like women's rights and, and the woman's place in society these days. Right. I mean, I'd say there's a lot of very progressive moves, say in the business world, you see many female mm-hmm. CEOs and stuff like that, female prime ministers. Um, so there's a lot of progressive changes, but yeah, I suppose bringing it back to the, the church, you know, because it's such an old institution an old religion and stuff, I, I suppose. And yeah, all the people running it at the top are male. It's, right. you know, it's, it's kind of going to affect people's attitudes, but I think it's very good that like people like yourself are challenging that. And um, yeah, I want I want to dive more into exactly what it is you're looking to expose. Now you said obviously that there's this kind of scandal that is related to um, women in the church right so priests and everything mm-hmm. but what exactly are these kind of secrets and scandals within the catholic church like what's the end goal here with this book because i mean i think many of us and many people listening at home will have kind of heard of all the cat the the scandals in the catholic church over the years both here in the uk in italy you know it's there's always things you hear about but this knowledge here when, when I was reading through about your book and I was reading about what you're trying to expose this is something I'd never heard of so I'd, I'd love to learn more about like what it is I suppose in a, a summed up version of like what it is you're trying to kind of get out to the people yes the biggest finding is that if first of all if you're a Catholic from the time you're little you are just told as a woman you can't be a priest and that there never were woman priest in this church's history. Well, beyond having woman priest in the Catholic church, there were woman bishops, woman deacons. I'm going back in the early Mm -hmm. church history. But the most fascinating discovery was Jesus's own mother, Mary, mother of God, was a woman priest. (laughs) And she was called Mary Priest. And her title was the model for all priesthood in the catholic church and uh this was from about ad 300 uh up to 1927 and when i say 1927 that's shocking because um i never heard that mary first of all was a priest excuse me (laughs) Mary's title was taken away from her back in 1927. And this was really done low keyed because my mother, my grandmother, they never heard of this. They didn't realize this. A Roman official over there had some newspaper man run a real small article about this. And this Roman official was saying, isn't it well the way you you took care of this question. This is a question that should be put to sleep. And they're referring to the question, is Mary mother of God? I mean, that is just so disrespectful. But John Winsgaard's had a book, The Ordination of Woman in the Catholic Church. And he said, well, what was going on that all of a sudden after these centuries, they would take that title from Mary. And isn't it a coincidence at that time, there were other faith denominations, women that wanted to be priests as well. So of course this was for the Catholic church. We take this, we basically, you know, take the title away from her. This is never talked again. And if anyone goes 
snooping around. Well, this obviously from that point on, it would never be mentioned. And that's what they did with the original history way back. They, when they got rid of woman priest, they were very crafty. You know how they did it, Christian? There was, uh, they started their own law, canon law. When Jesus was alive, there was no canon law. Well, in this canon law, they had a specific caveat. If a woman was uh, a priest or held some priestly position with this new canon law that they incorporated, she could never again be on the church altar. So that really put the kibosh on any woman back in the early centuries, whether they were women priests, deacons, or bishops. That just ended it all very conveniently. And of course, then the uh, scribes of the church from that point on would have no reason to bring up, yes, women had these roles. You know, let's face it. Whatever we have now from tradition is something that's been, you know, orally over the centuries, repeated and repeated. But if you have something that the church has said, well, no, that's ended. Well, then these writers have no reason to obviously ever mention that again. So it's very conveniently forgotten. And this is the whole issue. This early church history, uh, the church fathers will not acknowledge. So basically, I feel it's put them in the driver's seat. Because do they have the press, the hierarchy of the church? Is the press uh, hounding them? No, because what, what is the issue? There is no issue. There never were women priests. But what really irks me is in the light of biblical research, that we now know Mary was a woman priest, and as well as these other women in different uh, religious positions, the church will not recognize that truth. They have not moved forward on that truth. So again, uh, why is this an issue? Because there are so many, when you think of all the dioceses, like right in the United States, well, let's go uh, worldwide, let's go to your area. Let's go to Ireland, let's go to Australia, let's go to Asia, let's go to South America. There's millions of American women out there that don't even know there's any type of an issue. Mm. And I mean, isn't that sad in 2021 that we're in that state? Yeah, it's, it's interesting while you were talking, I, I was kind of thinking, it just brought up so many different things, so many different points. Um, for example, um, what you were talking about, about how there's been this major shift and almost like, you know, um, a conscious effort to try and, and stop women from being priests in the church. Um, it's, I kind of feel like that has existed throughout history. Like it, it begs the question mm -hmm. that, you know, cause there is historical evidence of, of women's place in, in society being, you know, um, much more equal than it, than it has been. You know what I mean? Like, um, I can't think of any specific examples, but I know in certain civilizations, I've, I've definitely learned this in history before that, you know, sometimes the, the female would be equal to, or even superior to the man in some cases, uh, I think in more like, you know, uh, possibly Egyptian culture, stuff like that. But the point still stands that that existed. Yeah. And it makes me wonder sometimes if maybe, you know, these things were trialed and then, like the men controlling the society that then sort of decided to double back because of what well, basically politics. I think all of these things generally boil down to politics to some degree, you know, like, um, again, another thing that came to mind when you were speaking, uh, it reminded me of Henry the eighth who <laughs> very famously, uh, in order to divorce someone, uh, cause he was, I believe he was Protestant, wasn't he originally? Yes. And then, yeah, he then created, Church of England yes to <laughs> divorce a woman like, like which I I know it's not funny but in a way it's kind of funny to me it's like he literally created his own version of this religion just so he could do this one thing <laughs> but you know um Very still creative it, yes <laughs> yeah but it's it's, it's it's interesting because it's like changes like that right I would I would imagine would be 
throughout history would be very common and and this move that you're talking about where it's deliberately put in place to 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 prevent women from being priests that to me screams politics screams some sort of thing where possibly women were getting too much control and then the men within that faith felt that that was a danger of, of some description i don't know why silly um i would i would think it would be more sensible to come together as a society both men and women and try to work through these things but we move but you know it, again it just to me it, it always sounds like politics uh, particularly with the catholic church because with with christianity like I, i'm personally not religious but i have a okay. keen in, interest in like all religions Mm-hmm. And I kind of see every religion as always being split between the actual faith, what your everyday person believes in and uses as a, as a guide to life. I mean, people often forget right. that that religion is the basis for societal rules. You know, our laws are yeah. based on, on religion. So, you know, it's, it's a very important part of culture and society. But on the other hand, there is this big control aspect and societal aspect obviously famously in the uk you know we flipped and flopped between catholic and protestant uh, you know over the course of many different reigns mm. and kings and queens and such um and there's been different versions of the bible according to you know there was the king james bible for instance um it's a very interesting concept to me that these things get rewritten, changed, tweaked in order to reflect that particular rule, uh, leadership at that time. And of course, it's very convenient if they need for some reason to make change, well, they can definitely, you know, like you said, be very creative, uh, you know, doing whatever they're doing. Yeah. And yet supposedly nothing is supposed to change. But if, if, if it's needed, like in this case, this new law came in to uh, take care of a woman. Well, the argument normally that I hear is always that it's interpretations. It's different interpretations of the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. like, like in Christianity alone, I mean, I've seen what is this, Protestant, uh, Catholic Church, uh, me- Christian science, Methodism. I don't really understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, jehovah's witnesses and seventh day adventists and stuff like there's all these different versions and often there'll be like big particular rules that they they clash on um but then as you said you know they all kind of are based on the same principles but these things that they differ on are like points for contention from the sound of things and in a lot of cases but i think the church does always get a bit more scary and, and concerning when it comes to things like money and and power and such because obviously in in the uk you know before money became like the if you want to call like new religion you know it was the church church was the the way that you would control the people because you know everyone was christian or protestant or whatever Mm -hmm. you know uh, if you read any history books in, in the uk they'll always tell you that you know when there was a shift, a major shift from one queen to one king, and they decided, okay, now we're Protestant. You had to go with it or you'd be executed. It was like that serious. Like religion was that serious. Uh, whereas obviously these days, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing that, you know, it's, it's up to you. You believe what you want. You can, you can be a, a Jew, you can be Hindu, you can be Sikh, you can be well, whatever you choose to be, right. which is great, obviously. Um, but yeah, like when, again, when I look at like around the world, uh, particularly like the Vatican, I, I look at that and I'm kind of thinking like, there's, there's a lot of things that, that are just a bit iffy there. Like the very fact that like, there's there's this whole vault in the Vatican church, in, in the Vatican, sorry, that just has all this material that has pretty much never seen the light of day and is restricted access. I mean, if there's nothing to hide, why is it restricted? You know, it makes yeah, you wonder, like, what kind of knowledge is there? Like, what thought-provoking material is there that could change things or expose things or, you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. And they said it goes 53, um, you know, the bookshelves, figuring like the width, you know, the bookshelves, 53 blocks long underground. And boy, would I love to get in there. Um, I would have to have someone with me that would understand uh, like Greek right. or Aramaic, uh, French, whatever the different languages are, Italian. Uh, but it actually, unfortunately, it, the everyday person can't go in there. They mm. basically said what little I read was that you had to maybe have like um, 
a special educational degree, maybe you were working for your doctorate at something, and that whatever the specific subject is, it can't be uh, an area that someone else already uh, did something on. So there are different, definite, you know, rules and regulations even on that. So unfortunately, no, it's not open. But there is another reason is, you know, how they say that, oh, women were never priests. Well, as you said, what is in those vaults beyond the biblical research that's been done by like John Winsgaard's, he was a former Catholic priest. There's Catholic religious sisters. Christine Schenk has an excellent book out on Crispina and her sisters. And they go into the catacombs and they really do research. It's interesting of the diagrams on the catacomb walls. And like one illustration is the bishop always sat in a chair that which had a very high back to it. So he's there and obviously his, you know, priestly attire and he's officiating uh, a man to be a priest. Well, now on the left side of the wall, you have the same thing, that high back chair, but now there's a woman in that chair. So uh, it, it's just interesting how that history is there, whether it's on uh, the inscriptions on stones that they found, you know, of religious uh, priest, woman priest, the artifacts of that time. Uh, I just love history because um, it just really obviously brings alive that particular period, what was going on. But when you were talking just a few minutes ago, you have to remember if you go back into the church history, that's where you really get an idea of why is there this awful disparity that men seem to be up on the top and women are down on the totem pole. Well, if you go way back in history, our church law, the Latin the theologian canon lawyers, they incorporated Roman law and they, they formed and shaped it from Roman law, which wasn't uh, very friendly, their civic law with women. Uh, women, unless they had money or they had land, they were just obviously really nothing. So it started way back then. And if these Roman theologians are incorporating such a law, which is uh, not equal for women, I mean, and then you bring that into the church, well, right there, a uh, woman already had a few strikes against them. You know, if men are viewing women already is, is down below, but there's five specific reasons that the Catholic Church says that women can't be priest. All right. Now, these are supposed to be biblical reasons. And yet with the research, they have all been proven that it's cultural prejudice. And the first one is that women were believed not to have been made in the image of God. Because again, men at that period basically had dominion over women. So in their minds, well, gee, I mean, how can this woman be, you know, equal to God? So then we move on. And then there was a belief from um, Paul where he said basically that women shouldn't be teaching in the church. Well, they actually had a common law at that time. And it said that women were so mentally feebly minded and as well, they had this awful emotional instability. So this particular condition uh, miraculously was <laughs> attributed more to women at that time than men. So, I mean, how can we have a woman out there teaching in public? You know, she's got this ailment. And then there was the belief that uh, woman, all women carried the sin of Eve. And you have to go way back into Genesis for this. But miraculously, there were perfect candidates at that time for priesthood. And these were the men in the church because the women were believed to have sin. So they weren't the best stellar candidates. And then we all know Jesus picked the 12 apostles, you know, to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, again, you go back and you study the culture. Ancient Israel was really patristic in nature. So 
just imagine if Jesus at that time tried to put in 12 women to represent the 12 tribes of Israel, he would have been driven over some cliff. And then lastly, again, the last reason, it's not biblical at all. Jesus was a male, so therefore at the Eucharistic uh, consecration of the, the bread and the wine, we have to have only men up on the altar. But my question is, Christian, why hasn't the uh, church hierarchy come out and made some type of a pronouncement? Uh, we are sorry, but um, these five uh, biblical reasons really aren't biblical at all. And this is another thing. This is blatant. They're using supposedly this tradition, which is solely biblical uh, to keep women from becoming priests when in no way is uh, biblical, but rather cultural prejudice. I mean, I could theorize all day about that. And I mean, it's largely nonsense. You do know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> even just thinking about that just makes me angry but anyway um it's, it's like i said before I, I think i really do think it comes down to, to business uh you know there, there is such a thing as the business of church and you know as we know that's obviously run by men and for whatever reason i i believe they're scared probably about uh women being in power which I really don't get, I really don't understand that, to be honest. Yeah, not, not, not just on a basic level, but also just in general. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. like, like okay, what you were lining out there, the, those biblical reasons, like things like, oh, women were deemed as not being emotionally kind of sound in terms, and that would affect their judgment or some, something like that. That, mm -hmm. to me, reads, what well, historically at least, reads as like a, just a, an ignorant kind of thought process that people might have had in the past because they were just less educated science maybe wasn't as good but you know what i mean like right. i mean science is changing all the time but you know we, we've learned clearly that you know men are and men and women men and women are perfectly equal sound body and mind it's it's has nothing to do with gender or anything or like that it's it's more kind of random as do you know what i mean like every it's it's genetic it's 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 based on many factors but it has nothing to do with gender really i mean i think there are you know certain things here and there as far as as like traits that, that maybe women have that men don't have and vice versa but you can't really always generalize it's more kind of just like it might be the case in most instances but not exclusively kind of thing mm -hmm. um but anyway, my point being that maybe like that's where that comes from. And then it's just a combination of a laziness that, you know, it hasn't been challenged enough and it hasn't changed. And I think that really does come down to who is at the top. I think if you had women at the top in power, that'd be changing real quick uh, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, and, you know, people like yourself, obviously, uh, you know, making the move to, to to try and expose that and try and push that is, is an excellent start to that and you know it's, it's a really good thing that you're doing um but yeah I, I think it does come largely down to that and and probably yeah the sense of history and tradition and stuff I mean I, I've seen a lot in the UK here I mean obviously I don't follow the church a lot but like, I do think see things here and there about progressions in terms of making female bishops making female priests stuff like that i do see that from time to time and as i understand mm -hmm. it's not something that's become prevalent everywhere but it's beginning to it kind of sounds like the church here is coming into the 21st century very slowly um yes, maybe slowly. it's yeah maybe it's just kind of like a a question of time but yeah um yeah, it, just, it fascinates me, all, all of this, to be honest. I mean, since we were talking about it, what is your kind of view on, on, on you know, the Vatican and, and its influence on Christianity? Because obviously they still have a lot of power and influence. And as we were talking about before, like religion and Christianity differs all around the world. There's all different thoughts and, and feelings and about the religion. And obviously there's cultural differences that then impact on that. But 
you know, obviously they still have like a, a really big kind of influence over Christianity everywhere. But what's your view as an individual? Like, where do you sit on that? Well, particularly in, in relationship to the woman priest issue, mm-hmm. the Vatican has really done this awful cover up. What do I mean? Back in 1976, the Pope has his own uh, commission, Pontifical Biblical Commission. They looked into the question of women being priest in our church. The commission's findings explicitly said there is no biblical reason to prevent women from becoming priest. Mm. All right. Hello, 1976. Here we are today. They have completely sat on this. They haven't moved on that. And then go back two years prior, there was another international theological commission. And they were looking into the question of woman deacons in our past Mm. church. And if you go back, uh, there were three Greek studies that were all really alike. And they were talking about the ordination of like a deacon, whether it was a man, whether it was a woman, they would be on the altar in the church. The bishop would be officiating over them in prayer, lays his hands over them. A stole was placed on the male, a stole was placed on the woman, and both the man and the woman as well received the cup to drink from. And the women then were known as deaconesses. So my question is, here again, they sat on that. There would have been no need for Pope Francis to convene the 2016 commission on women uh, being deacons. And here again, where have we gone with this? Um, it's just totally unbelievable. And it, it really is, I, 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 it's, it's cunning, it's deliberate. Women should be priests. And that's why I think this whole issue, it, it's forcing there's other uh, church organizations that a lot of Catholics don't realize that have been working on this issue since back in the 70s. There's Call to Action, there's Future Church, uh, there's Roman Catholic Woman Priest, Women's Ordination Conference. And so many of these organizations have the explicit proof that, look at this isn't really even an issue. Here's the truth. And yet between what they present to Rome, um, what the, the own, these commissions, uh, church commissions have presented to the hierarchy, they will not move on that truth. And so I think really the issue should be presented differently. Once Catholics find out the truth, Rome, once and for all, has to be held accountable for what they're doing, or in this case, really, for what they're not doing. I mean, just wouldn't it be marvelous if every single Catholic here in the U.S., worldwide, would just ask Rome or ask their own pastors, whatever, um, why isn't... um, our church following its own commission's findings, like, you know, that women can be priests, that women were deacons. I know it's ridiculous because it's so simple, but something has to happen to, to make this happen. And, and this is a whole other area, Christian. It's like, a, it's like I'm running into a roadblock. There are so many Christians, Catholics, uh, that believe explicitly in what our church hierarchy has told them. Look at, there's never, never were Catholic woman priests. So then you get someone like myself or other woman out there. uh, Well, who are we going to believe? And they just won't even momentarily try to, you know, consider uh, seeing this subject in a different slant. There, there's no room to wiggle around it, under it. it, it it's this way. And isn't that fine and dandy for the, the Catholic Church hierarchy? Because then they're stirring up these other Catholics. And I mean, it's so sad because they are, they believe that they're, 
you know, uh, fighting, protecting their church when, when they don't realize that it's the other way around. Why do you think that this is the case? Why do you think that we haven't gotten to that point yet where women are at the very top and are priests and stuff? Like, obviously, we have kind of discussed it a little bit, but like in your personal opinion, why don't you think we've got there yet? Well, it's, it all stems with the present hierarchy. When you think of even our present Pope Francis, which, thank God, was a breath of air after our former Pope Ratzinger, um, Back in 2010, when he was a cardinal, he had a book on heaven and earth. And in there, he made the statement that uh, these women feminists, uh, they, they received everything um, they wanted back when women received the right to suffrage. Well, whoa, what, wait a minute, 1920? Um, I mean, seriously, take that issue out of the public realm, bring it back into the church today. If our, the Pope, which is obviously the head person, the hierarchy, is it no wonder that the issue of women's inequality in our church isn't, isn't even being recognized? If that's seriously where they are coming from? And it's just, it is, it's mind boggling uh, to even try to understand that from a woman's perspective. Yeah, I kind of like. Obviously, I'm male, so I do obviously see it slightly differently. But yeah, I I, I feel the same. I I kind of, especially with what you just laid there. Yeah, the suffragettes movement obviously was sort of like really in the, its biggest point at the sort of twenties and thirties. I, th I think it did probably start at the end, the, the tail end of the nineteenth century. Possibly, I don't know mm -hmm. if that's one hundred percent correct. But I do remember, yeah, twenties and thirties. That's when you really hear about yeah. the major moves they made. But yeah, when you when you kind of speed that up and everything, you, and you look at like where we are now versus where we were then. Obviously, there's been a lot of uh, progress in that time. But then there are still areas that aren't quite there. Like simple simple things like okay, uh, and I know this is more business related, but still. Um, I remember in the last kind of 10 years or so, maybe a little bit more, uh, there was the issue of like female tennis stars not getting paid the same amount of money as male oh, tennis yes. stars. And you often hear about that in many types of industries and they never give you a reason. Do you know what I mean? Like the only feasible reason I could see that they wouldn't allow that. And this, is, this has nothing to do with gender. This is literally just mm -hmm. like the only thing I can think of is that... Right. Uh, the the female tennis stars play less sets than the men they play three as opposed to five um so maybe you could argue there's less tennis being played <laughs> therefore pay less money that but that would be like the only logical reason i could think of if, we, if we're talking about everything else it's literally the same like or everything. even like the women's soccer players remember yeah when they showed the men's um exercise room with all the equipment and then they spanned back to, to the woman they had oh. really nothing they had oh, nothing oh, there. Oh, oh, oh. But then, of course, as soon as that was on the, the TV news, then things got rectified yeah, yeah, very yeah, quickly. Yeah. But, I mean, that was a, a, a definite what? slap in the face. And even lately, it's the women teams that have been winning. Yeah, well, yeah. Know, they, women's, women's, I mean, I don't watch women's football, but I, I know I've heard that it's much more competitive than men's football, like much more interesting because men's yeah. football, there's just so much money in it now. It's just only about money. And because of that, it's pretty much always just the same five teams every season. Whereas in the feet, like football, women's football league, I mean, mm -hmm. for instance, <laughs> fun fact, the English uh, women's football team has won the World Cup several times. Uh, I, I can't remember the last time, but fairly, fairly recently. Um, wow. But obviously the men's team, 1960s was the last time we won. Yeah, quite it's, a difference there. <laughs> Span of time. But it's, it's interesting you brought up football because I think that's a really good point. Um, Women's football is, 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 and in comparison with men's football, is very interesting as far as, because I, I mean, I think it, it all comes down to money and marketing. And as you said, it is slightly getting better. Like, for instance, I live here in Manchester, right? And um, there's two major teams here. There's Manchester United and Manchester City. If you drive past the Manchester City uh, stadium, you can see two massive kind of backdrop posters on the side of the stadium and they show both the women's football team and the men's football team 
winning I don't know, 2018 season, something like that. Um, but they're featured prominently together. And I was like, that, that kind of suggests like a, a shift in the right direction. We're slowly getting there. But the perception is still kind of the same that like women's football is not put on the same pedestal as men's football. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it comes down to money, like not investing enough money in it. And as far as where the money is invested, not pushing it enough in terms of marketing. I, I, I can't remember the last time I saw like an advert for women's football or like hear about it on the radio or do you know what I mean? But you yeah, hear you about don't. men. You don't. Yeah. yeah. You hear a... men's football all the time, everywhere. Right. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's largely the issue. But as you said, whenever these things come to light and they get exposed enough and they get into the public consciousness, suddenly you start seeing progressive changes really quickly. But that that's not because people care. That's because the company or institution or whatever is afraid of the PR damage because it can destroy you, it can destroy your business. So you have to react on it to show, oh yeah, yeah, we're making these progressive changes. We're, we're, we're you know, we're doing right. everything we're supposed to do. Like even CSR as a concept, corporate social responsibility, because I come from a marketing background. So like, I just, whenever I see all this, I'm just like, this, oh, is, lies. this is all nonsense, you know, <laughs> but I do look at it a lot of the time as just the thing that they use to kind of, um, you just improve their reputation, you know, or in some cases, um, improve their tax interests. You know, if you mm-hmm. do a certain amount of charity every year, you avoid tax. And actually that brings me nicely uh, back to a really big point about, about um, Christianity that I wanted to cover. And now this is more about America, but I see a lot of like the churches um, like, okay, there's this really famous pastor in, 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 in America. Um, I can't remember his name, but he he's literally got like, really scary crazy eyes and he's like like an old-fashioned pastor he's like um oh, i think they call them telepastors or something like they they used to oh, like televangelist tel- or something televangelist that's the one yes. yeah so it's a very specific style of christianity where they constantly um <sighs> oh like hell and brimstone <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like, like okay, in the eight, as I understand, in the eighties is when it really became popular. Like trying okay. doing like telethons over the TV and mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, you must donate your money, you know, and reserve your place in heaven," and blah blah blah. Oh, blah. Tammy, uh, Tammy Faye and her husband, he ended up in prison, and they did. They had like one of those big uh, th- schemes. Yeah. No, this guy's not even in prison. This guy, oh, I wish I could name remember his name. He's been memed like crazy. Um, oh, it's going to bug me. Uh, when, when I do the clips for this afterwards, I'll look him up <laughs> and it'll be, and then you'll see what who I'm talking about. But basically this, this particular pastor, um, first of all, his church, he's a billionaire. He's a legitimate billionaire. And he's okay. managed to do that because of the tax exemption that you can achieve in the States via religion if you run a charity um you can completely avoid tax and obviously because all the money that's coming in is through donations you know they can keep 100 percent of it so he's built himself like (sighs) i can't even believe i'm saying (laughs) like a massive huge private compound um he flies in private jets around the world um he has his own little kingdom yeah yeah. And, and, you know, whenever he gets interviewed about it, you know, cause obviously he's been heavily criticized about it. Uh, he always just how says, how much of that is going to feed the poor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he, he makes the argument that, you know, he flies around the world constantly and, you know, he's always doing the work of God and stuff and that, you know, he needs, he needs a private jet in order to do that. And he needs this huge compound to do is, his is he work. Billy Graham's son. I can't remember his name. I honestly, no, no that doesn't ring a bell. Okay. He was okay during the COVID pandemic, the beginning of it, he was like he kind of came out and 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 very famously like tried to he, he was like blessing everyone over the camera and sort of his hand was like really weirdly wet and he was just like I don't know, trying to remove COVID through the TV oh. screen or something. Oh, that, that is um, 
Yeah, yeah, now you get my fascination who this is. I got to find his name and I'll, I'll send it to you because it's, it's fascinating. Because um, I just wanted to ask you about the tax side of things because I think it's always been interesting, the business side of the church and how, you know, there's a bit, obviously there's a big difference between, you know, giving a bit of a couple of dollars in the church collection pay versus, you know, making regular donations, large sums of money. Like this guy has very famously often told um and threatened his people and been like you know if you you know if you don't have the money you need to to write a loan uh, make a loan for this you need to you need to find a way because you know if you're not making pledges then you know you're turning your back on the religion all this sort of stuff and it's it's very extreme stuff i must say but it seems to only be prevalent in in the united states that's what i've noticed okay i haven't seen that in other parts of the world i could be wrong so apologies for that but it just seems, and I think that is a systematic issue. I think it comes down to the American tax system and, and the way that business works and that enables you to do that. And obviously, as you sort of highlighted there, there's been other people that have done that. Mm. Uh, so it's not the first time. And it is basically fraud. You know, I, I can't believe this guy's gotten away with it. I mean, he's clearly, I, I, there's nothing religious about that. Like, you know, religion at its at its core is about providing you know, a system of beliefs for people to, to live their lives by and, and, and a concept for them to believe in and, and to live a good life and stuff. It's not about giving all your money away yeah. to, to, to fund someone else and then book your place in heaven. I mean, look, I'm not religious, but if, if I was religious, um, you know, and I've thought about this before, you know, uh, plenty of times. I would think that if there is a God or whatever, or an entity of some description, um, you couldn't book your place into their good graces by giving money. Do you know what I mean? Or the concept of repentance, like, you know, oh, it's okay if I do all these horrible things because I repent for them every time. And it's like, that kind of defeats the point, doesn't it? It's like, you repent sort of once you know, to sort of say, okay, yeah, I did all these bad things. I'm sorry. I learned from my mistakes. And we move from this point onwards and we don't do it anymore. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's that's where I come from. They're the biggest hypocrites, really. You know, and you step back and you wonder how, what acting school they went to because it's so sad because the majority of their money is coming from a lot of people which really don't have that money to give. Exactly. Yeah. And then how they're totally, you know, ruining their lives. But, you know, what difference does that make? I have my plane, I have my swimming pool, I have whatever, you know, I can do this or that. And it's that hypocrisy. And like back in the Catholic church that they did a study and like back in the, um, the millennials, it's more prominent that the millennial women are leaving the Catholic church because they have just had it with the hypocrisy. They know if they get a calling from Jesus that it's going to go um, nowhere. And I am uh, trying to reach the, the younger millennials because really, if you're fed up, which I believe you are, and it's sad to say as a Catholic, um, this is your time to speak out to speak up because our church, we know now we have the truth behind us. And I call these men so-called men of God. Really, if you look at Jesus's ministry of truth, of inclusion, of love, what are these present men doing? Um, As a former chaplain and minister for the Catholic Church, would you say that the church is kind of adapting well to the changing nature of our world? Because obviously religion has always kind of, in general as a concept, has always kind of struggled to adapt to, you know, the changing demands of society in certain areas. And sometimes that's reflected in the the kind of um, conflicts of interest, let's put it, sometimes between, between the nature of our world that's changing and then this this institution that's many 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 years old um but yeah do you think it's adapting well or or what's oh, your i think it, it's unfortunately it, it it's stuck <laughs> okay but whatever whatever it is it is uh i mean that's very sad to say because people think i'm trying to tear this church down i love the catholic church but i just want it to get 
back to the morals, the ministry of, of, of Jesus. Mm. And um, that's why we, we need change. And we need this church to be held accountable once and for all to try to explain, you know, what they're doing. Pope Francis is, thank God, a breath of fresh air. And he has tried to make some moves uh, towards helping women. But you have to remember, there's what's called the Curia. Mm -hmm. And this is like an institution that's been there forever. And they're very upset with the Pope because they think they can't understand why is he making all these moves to be more inclusive, you know, to make changes. So he's getting all that flack from them. They don't want to change. And then again, you have so many Catholics, again, which are all status quo. I don't know. Um, I know as you get older, obviously, you're all, you know, and I'm not trying to put people in the one basket, but so many of them are getting older. They can't help with the change. But then it's complacency. In the church, we had what we called pray and obey. And you knew back like back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, mm -hmm. you never would question your pastor, okay? So people really aren't questioning what's happening within their church. And plus, they're just fed up because nothing has ever changed. So why should I get involved? And that has to change. And that's why the younger millennials, um, you have that energy, you have the truth now. Let's get together and let us help hold the hierarchy accountable. I do have a petition on my website and I'm asking to bring back the title of Mary. I'm asking them to give the equality back to woman that Jesus said, all are one in Christ Jesus. There is no man or woman. Um, bring the equality to women that we need in our church and let's just finally get together and there could be so much we could do in this church the church we're the people of god vatican ii has said that i know that might sound like pie in the sky words but if we get things turned around we have to remember we are the church and let's act that way and remember, our voices are important. Couldn't agree more. Um, just switching it up here, but I'm intrigued. What's the biggest life lesson that you've learned so far? Well, I've sadly learned that um, the truth, I guess this was the most biting part, was... Um, you would expect of all organizations uh, the truth from your church. And, and then to find out the way that um, they've gone about that with women, how they've completely lied to them um, in, in, in such a, I, I can't even think of the right, the right words, but it is, it's sickening as a woman, how your own betrayal of trust uh, you know, what they've done and what they've continued to do. And unfortunately, the Catholic Church is like any other organization, big conglomerate. They need that money. And now you have these victims of sexual abuse and everything is going into bankruptcy. And the church is saying that they don't have the money for this. And yet, uh, in the New York diocese, I think it was uh, Cardinal Dolan, or if it wasn't New York, it was Chicago, he took all this money and put it into a cemetery fund so that that couldn't be used to pay victims. So unfortunately, um, things like that just aren't, would never be a part of Jesus's ministry. And the life lesson is, if you feel something needs to be changed, don't be afraid, speak up. 
and, and move on and move forward. Don't get stuck with something like this, which is so awful. And you think, oh, I'm just going to leave the church. Mm -hmm. ah, why should I do anything? No, you're only one person. But you start something and then every other person starts something. And yes, we'll come together. It'll be like a, a grassroots effort. Uh Thank you for that. Uh, by the way, I haven't got anywhere, but I've just been having a lot of camera problems lately. And uh, my camera has just decided to leave suddenly. So that's fun. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's too, too much on. scandal that it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Well, you're, you're the guest of honor anyway. It's, it's, it's about you. It's not about me anyway. But um, yeah, I'm actually drawing it to an end uh, to a close for today. So do you have any upcoming projects or some, maybe some final thoughts that you'd like to share with us today? Uh, yes, I will be writing another book. And actually, I had started writing another book. And I, I, I kept getting the, um, in my mind, I was thinking of this view of like woman priest, woman's ordination. And I completely stopped writing that first book. And, and then I went ahead and read, uh, wrote this book. So uh, I, I will be doing that. And if, if anyone wants to maybe learn more, uh, you know, about this church history, my website is yourradicaltruth.com, yourradicaltruth.com. And my book is called Scandal in the Shadows, The Original Priest, Mother Mary. Excellent. Thank you very much for sharing. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And, uh, Thank you, Christian. Yeah, I will say to all my listeners, make sure to go and check out Margaret Mary O'Connor's book, Scandal in the Shadows. Make sure to go follow her and her projects. And uh, yeah, for everyone who is listening to the Christian Reef podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, leave us a review. Let us know your thoughts and let us know who you'd like to see on the show next, what you'd like to hear on the show next. And as always, be safe, be well, and I'll see you in the next one.